All right, hey, what's up, everybody? Episode 246 of Living Off the Land. I'm Dan, here with Steven. It's Wednesday night. Hump day! You know what that means. Living Off the Land is back and better than ever. And we're starting out, of course, as we usually do, with the Beer of the Week. Dan, take it away. All right, so uh, Beer of the Week is one that we've had on the, on the show before, but it's been a while. And, uh, man, I'll tell you what. I always say about this beer is it lives up to the name. And of course, I'm talking about crush worthy locale citrus wheat from Great Lakes Brewing Company. This is a crushable beer. This is, I know we're in, uh, well, actually, technically, today is February, so we're not in January anymore, but we are in February. So this is a very much a summer beer even though we're in February, but I am going to crush it in this episode because it is delicious. You're feeling Australian tasty. or Argentinian or something where they actually are having summer right now. Yep. So this beer from Great Lakes Brewing Company, it's one 105 calories, 4% alcohol by volume, and it states, do you believe in love at first sip with a lightly filtered body and a sweet kiss of orange? It's more than a crush. It's your new main squeeze. Crushworthy. Locale citrus wheat. This is a very good beer. Um, I've talked about this a lot on the podcast, that wheat beers were the gateway to getting me into the craft beer scene. Um, I would, When I first started drinking craft beer, pretty much all I would drink would be half of Isons and wheats. Uh, before doing this podcast, which got me into the IPA scene, um, but wheat, it's kind of taken me back a little bit. I'm trying to find, because I know we, we've done it on the podcast before. Um, this might be going back a couple years. We did Crushworthy. I'm trying to see what I rated, rated it. Um, and I wanted to see, of course I found the post and the rating is not on it. So of course, of course, but anyway. Uh, Crushworthy, yeah, this is a great beer. Great beer. And I'll tell you what, if I think if you could get past your dislike of all things carbonated, I actually think you would really like this. Hmm. But uh, I know you don't like that, and hmm. you probably never will get over your dislike of carbonation, so I guess I'll drink it for the both of us. Yeah, 36. I don't want to call myself an old dog yet, but, you know. Ah. Not learning too many new tricks at this ah, stage. We're just in the prime. We're in the prime. We're in the prime. Prime strip steak or even fillet, perhaps. I know. I like to consider myself a nice bone-in ribeye. Mm, that's that's both. Great, oh, there the you go. Steak cut of all. Anyway, um, yeah. So really, not much to go off of um, as far as in depth on this beer. It's just really good. I love the uh I love the can, the logo kind of kind of seems like a like a biker tat. Uh yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I can see, see that. Somebody somebody who's a biker with a tat on their on their upper arm or something like that. So, mm-hmm. uh shout out to all of our biker listeners out there. I know they're plentiful. <laughs> but anyway, you may um, not see it in midwinter, but they'll be out sooner than you know. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. First 50 degree day that we the next 50 degree day we have that's not raining, there will be motorcycles. Oh, yeah, and break out the shorts, too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've had a... We've had a warmer-than-most winter, I would say. Oh, there's no doubt about it. Really, aside from the one stretch five or six days, like on three days on either side of Christmas, Yeah. I mean, that was like real pound-you-in-the-earth winter. (laughs) But, you know, aside from that, I mean, this, oh, the, this TF, last the TFC days, trucks were out those days. Yeah, I mean, we even. See, I mean, this is the closest. The, right, this week is probably the closest we've seen to the TFC trucks since. Then. Yeah, actually, uh, the last couple of days we've we've been in the teens, uh, not for highs. Teens but and low twenties for highs, actually. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's supposed to get warmer uh, tomorrow, and then it's supposed to drop right back down again. I mean, I I would call that TFC E, ish. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Right. 
Um, so anyway, back to the beer. Uh, but but yeah. So what I was getting at, saying we have a nor- uh, unusually warmer winter this year, is usually like the months of January and into February are the coldest months of the year, and we're in like you know single digits for a low burr uh, territory. And we haven't seen that hardly at all, right? Except but, around Christmas. But I mean, but what I'm saying is like when we get out of that in like March ish, and it does get to like 50, it feels like 70. Oh yeah. You know, you're turning the heat off and you're opening the you're you're cracking the windows open just so you can get some fresh air in the house. Yep. You know, because all the windows and doors have been shut for the last three months. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah. Oh yeah. First day that's in the fifties that I'm not working, I will be in shorts. Absolutely. Absolutely. So anyway, back to the beer. Crushworthy. It is a shorts drinking weather because it is a summer beer, uh, but we're having it tonight. I am going to rate this a seven point seven. Uh, on the Dan scale, seven point seven for the beer. Very, very good beer. Uh, we'll be drinking more of these in the summertime w- when grilling out. Great grilling beer, great. Um, and yeah, so that is the beer of the week this week. Before we get into better known neighborhood, I gotta say that uh, some members of my family have been doing a lot of moving this uh, past week. Oh yeah, uh, MB and Philly fan, they. Uh, Spent some time in Charlotte and then Charleston and are now in Fort Myers. Oh, wow. Yeah, they drove all that way without, Shout out. without killing each other, which is great. <laughs> um, it, it certainly helped that the Eagles absolutely crushed the 49ers on Sunday. Oh, yeah, Sunday, your, da- which, your dad's you going to be riding high right they, now. No, nothing's they, getting him down right now. They actually went out to Mystery Dinner Theater that night uh, after the game. So they, I mean, oh, they, after the game. I was going to say. They must have been over the moon. I was going um, to say. There's no way that he's going to Mystery Dinner Theater while that game's going on. He's not on. doing anything. Yeah. Even, <laughs> though that, even though that game was pretty much over by halftime. Wow. But we will we will talk about both the AFC and the NFC championship games, and also get into a little bit of the Super Bowl here on tonight's episode. We will do a full Super Bowl preview next week. We will be doing, you know, we will be giving you our favorite prop bets. We will be talking about the game itself, super the the halftime show, all that great stuff. So we'll be talking about that more next week. This week we're gonna review the championship games, and. Uh, uh, we're going to do a lot of Cavaliers talk tonight. But. Yeah, the prop bets are going to be epic this year, I feel like, especially with the advent, well, not the advent, but at least within this state's boundaries oh, yeah. of sports gambling on your phone and did everywhere. You hear, did you I read an article today that said that Ohio is projected to wager more money in sports betting than Vegas this year? Uh well, given the huge population difference between Ohio and Nevada, I guess that's not super surprising. Ohio but, is but the you'd number. Figure, yeah, Ohio is the n- number one state as far as uh, money wagered in January. I guess the real question would be how many visitors does Las Vegas get a year? Is it more than like eleven and a half million? Because that's the state population of Ohio. I'm guessing right. it is more than that. But not everybody's going there to gamble, so yeah. Yeah. How many people do you think are not going to Vegas now because their state has sports betting legal legalized? I don't know. It's probably if it just for just sports betting, it's probably only like they're probably losing make ten percent, twenty tops. I don't yeah. think it'd be more than that because the people are going for shows. They're going for uh, they're going for other gambling table games, other stuff, and. Let's face it. There's other things they're going to Vegas for too. So yeah, golf and you know some stuff we can't talk about on this podcast. So so, you know, excuse me. So I mean, yeah, it's a slice of a pie, but I don't think it's like a tremendously huge slice. Not a huge slice, he says. I I mean, honestly, if people wanted to sports gamble here, I mean, you'd have to have a passport, but it'd be easier to go to Canada probably than to go to Vegas. Yeah, from a geographical standpoint, probably. But be that as it may, we're not going to Canada tonight. We're not going to Nevada. We're not going anywhere like that. Um, the neighborhood we're going to tonight, um, it does have a little bit of a sports tie-in. Um, aside from the Super Bowl now, we are at a point where basketball is taking center stage. And we haven't talked a lot of college basketball on this podcast as of uh, recent. But we'll get uh, we're, we're getting toward that time, you know, where we're getting to the money part of the year in college basketball and soon enough you're going to be hearing that theme so um we're going to a hotbed of college basketball locally in northeast ohio this is a community that if we have not gone to portage county for the 
at any point so far on Better Know Neighborhood, but we're Portage. going tonight. And we are going to the city of Kent. Ooh. Right on the border, just inside Portage County, right on the border with Summit County. Uh, right next, adjacent to the city of Stowe, which borders it on the west. And... Uh, bordering the city of Ravenna, which is uh, just to its east. Maybe not directly. There's a little bit of green space in between, but not much. And directly to the north is Streetsboro. And then you, uh, if you go through the actual boundaries, the uh, I lost the name of the road. Newcomer Road is the boundary on the west of Kent. Route 261 roughly is the southern boundary. And then it also snakes around 261 and Breakneck Creek on the east side. And then in the north, there's not really a road there, but it just kind of snakes just straight across as you go just across. John- While Johnson Road does come across part of it. Kent has an incredibly gorgeous downtown. One of the best that you will find anywhere in northeast Ohio. It has filled with a bunch of chains, but also a bunch of great local businesses as well. And it's it's got a very interesting... like. It's got bars and grills and places to go at night and you and uh, dance halls, but it also has a bunch of good like brunch and coffee spots to hit in the morning. So it almost goes 24 hours a day, almost. Mm. You know, on the near north end of the downtown, you have uh, Bent Tree Coffee Roasters and you have Scribbles Coffee, which are two uh, pretty nice local coffee shops right there, right along uh, right along South Wa- uh, North Water Street, actually. As you go in toward the main intersection, you have Ray's Place, you have Grazer's, you have Acorn Alley, which is actually like a miniature shopping mall of sorts. Tree City Coffee and Pastry, which is another breakfast spot, is there. And then you have a couple of local mainstays. Uh, Barrio has a location on South Water Street. So does Panini's, um, among others. And that's, that's literally right along the Cuyahoga River. That's right. The Cuyahoga River literally runs right through the center of Kent. Um, just burn on big river, burn on. And all the places I just mentioned are on the east side of the river. Over on the west side, there are other places as well. Uh, Bell Tower Brewing Company is over there. Wild Goats Fresh and Funky Fine Dining. I don't know why they call it that, but that's <laughs> actually intriguing to me. I might have to check that place out. Uh, those are both on West Main Street, just west of the Cuyahoga River. And as you move over, so. As you branch out from there, most of the south end of Kent is residential. Uh, immediately to the south of downtown is Fred Fuller Park. Mm. That's the largest park that's not part of the Kent campus in Kent. Uh, again, uh, trails on both sides of the river, just uh, immediately adjacent. You've got great views of the of the downtown and of some of the surrounding neighborhoods. Uh, if you go out to the west along Route 59, which is the main uh, east-west drag through the city, there's some other businesses, and that just kind of gets into uh, a little bit more residential territory. Uh, same thing in the south. Again, it's mostly residential down there. But as you get to the east side of town, that's where the Kent State University campus is, uh, taking up most of the southeastern portion of the city. And I'll just give you some uh, quick facts and figures about Kent State University, and I'll just go off the, rec- the rail by saying that Kent State, much like our alma mater, Bowling Green State University, both universities were founded in 1910 as normal colleges. In fact, mm. yep. the two universities, actually, when they play each other in football every year, they play for a rivalry trophy called the Anniversary Award. Indeed. Um, which I actually learned way before I got to BG from playing NCAA football 2004. Happy enough. anniversary, you freaks. <laughs> can't read, can't write. Oh, that's that's not right. You're gonna you're gonna talk well now. See if if Mike and Anthony were here, they would have nothing good to say about Kent, being that they're Akronites. You know that being a major major rivalry. What do I have good to say about them? Uh, not you, obviously. Um, Kent State University has 268,000 plus alumni worldwide, more than 10,000 career ready graduates every single year. Top public university in the U.S. according to U.S. News and World Report. Uh, School of Fashion Design and Merchandising is second in the U.S. overall. I did not know that. Mm. You wouldn't expect a college in Ohio to be that highly rated in fashion and merchandising. That's something you'd figure you'd see in like Florida or California or some other Nevada, perhaps, but not here. That that's highly interesting. Uh, ranked in the top hundred for best uh, education program, like we just said, nor, uh, founded as a normal college. 
Kent State University's graduates have 16-plus Pulitzer Prize winners in writing. Uh, birthplace of li- liquid crystal technology for, like, um, flat-screen TVs. Mm. That's interesting. Awarded top national designation for highest research activity. That's the only school in the Mid-American Conference that has that designation. 200-plus education abroad programs in more than 60 countries. That's ex- very expansive for people who want to study abroad. Uh, uh, 1,300-plus international students representing 116 countries. That's highly worldly and expansive as well. And unlike a lot of local schools, Kent State actually has eight—well, they have eight campuses in total— Across Northeast and East Central Ohio, the Kent campus obviously is the main campus, but there are seven other satellite campuses within its network. So you have a lot of that going on as well. Eight men's, 11 women's teams with 450-plus student-athletes. And they had 15 of their student-excuse me, 59. What was I looking at? They have 59. <laughs> 15 is not anything like 59. Uh, 59 of their student athletes maintained a perfect 4.0 GPA last semester. Mm. So that's, that's great, especially for, um, those 59 individuals. You are killing it. So this, this section of the city covers a approximately, I, I did at the acreage. It was like something crazy. It was almost 2000 acres, uh, that covers this area, which, which covers an area almost from, the Kent Historical Society on the far northwest side all the way down to Dick Stadium, which is the football stadium on the far southeast side. Like they say, every season starts at Dick's. Shout out. Hey-o. Um So in a nutshell, that is Kent. It is a – I didn't talk a lot about the residential area here, but it's it's very – very economically diverse. The areas around campus is your your pretty typical, you know, off-campus housing that's being rented out to students. It's you know not you know, you're talking about properties that you could probably get for you know a hundred thousand dollars or less. And then in some other parts of the city, particularly in the south and in the far northern sections, you've got properties where like the university professors and and you know high-end faculty are living, and they're they're over a half million. So the the overall average is something around two hundred fifty thousand. So you're thinking, okay, that's more middle class, but really, you have every sort of um, individual living there, from the the very bottom of the economic scale to the very top. So you know, going back and forth from like you know, dormitory to bouger on the other side. Great community of about fifty thousand people. A um, lot of great things to see and do there, especially during this time of year once you get into to basketball season and that is kent and you can wham it with the right hand all right kent people kent i i just blanked i don't remember what i was gonna say the golden flashes yeah 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 dick stadium and all that nonsense (laughs) (coughs) we've seen bg win a lot of games at dick's over the years you know that's neither here nor there but anyway that is better known neighborhood. So, moving right along, let's talk about the week that was with the Cavaliers. Yeah. So last week we said that this was a potential big opportunity for the Cavaliers to get themselves right, win some games, and they started off the week well. They, they th- this was actually, if you look at the point distribution this week, this was a bit of an unlucky week for the Cavs because the two games they won, they crushed the opposition. They were all over Houston, winning one thirteen ninety five. Last sun, uh, this past Sunday, they jumped all over the Clippers early and just ran them out of the building, one twenty two to ninety nine. But as you sort of alluded to before we started the show, I mean, they really had a four and week, possibly on the table, and in Oklahoma City last Friday night, and then again last night against Miami, they just couldn't make the plays down the stretch to win the games. And it, the Oklahoma City game in particular was very disappointing because Oklahoma City is not good. Right. You know, that's, I get this on the road, but that's a team that you should be beating. And, again, they completely capitulated down the stretch. They actually lost that game by 12. Um, the Miami game ended up closer. They ended up losing that game by three. But, again, that was a game that was right there for the taking. And they only had, like, 12 points scored in the first 10 minutes of the fourth quarter. 
Right. You know, you can't. I mean, unless you're up by 20 going into the fourth quarter, you can't do that. And that seems to be a very common theme right now uh, with the Cavs. I mean, if you go back actually into the previous week, one of their the last game before this week, they played in New York and they lost that game by two. So they're just not making the plays they need to at the end of the game. They could they could have won all five of the last five games and they've gone two and three. That's very frustrating. Yeah, for sure. I was at the game last night, and frustrating is going to be my name name of the or my uh, word of the night. Uh, I was vocally and visibly frustrated with how the Cavs played last night. Because to be honest with you, they should have won that game by ten plus points. They lost, um, and there were a lot of things that you could point to as the game was going on. The main focus is the fact that this team continually, and this is now a season-long thing, so this I don't think this is something that's just going to be fixed, and it's something that has me worried that this team is going to get bounced from the first round of the playoffs, and that's going to be very disappointing if that happens. This team has no idea how to win a game that is close at the end. None. No idea. Their offensive sets are absolutely putrid. They don't even run an offense. I've been saying this for two weeks now. The Cavs don't run an offense. They just dribble. Somebody drives and either gets to the hole or he gets cut off and he throws some wild pass back and then somebody jacks a three. And again, this team, for a team that shoots as many threes as as the Cavs do, you would think that, that that would be because they're good at shooting threes. They're not. They're terrible at shooting threes. They're brutal. They shot 25% from three last night, and they jacked up about 40 of them. You can't win doing that. And another one. You're putting up 30 shots that you missed. That's a lot of misses. Yeah. Uh, let, Let me go back to the box score from yesterday. Cavs lost 197. Um,. Again, 97 points in the NBA today is it's it's it that it's not enough points. The cat yeah, the Cavs were 11 of 40 from 3 last night. 27.5%. You know what's hilarious? Well, not hilarious, but you know what's interesting? They shot f- half almost half of their shots were threes. Shooting 27.5%. As a team, they still shot 48% from the field. Which means that they were killing it from inside the arc. They were shooting about 70% from inside there. Yeah. Um, I, I thought the biggest alarm bell that went off last night was Jared Allen got absolutely dominated by Bam Adebayo. I mean, if you just look at Jared Allen's stats, 14 points, 11 rebounds, 6 of 8 from the field. Normally, you would be like, that, that you would think like, that's yeah, that's that fine. seems like a very Jared Allen type night. He was a minus seventeen and plus minus. Oh, that's bad. Yeah, that's really bad. Minus seventeen. He was getting, uh, you know, he had eleven rebounds, but I'm I'm telling you, he should have had about eighteen. There was like at least a handful of rebounds that were right there for him, and for whatever reason, I don't know where his head was at last night. But he was bad last night. Just bad. Bam out of by and, and Bam out of by is a good player. Like I'm not saying like he got he got beat out by a bunch of balls by a scrub. Bam out of by was an all star. Mm. But so was Jared Allen. And it was a mismatch all night. Um and again, the Cavs just don't have three point shooters. Like, let's see. Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell combined to shoot five of twenty from three last night. It's bad. Donovan That's Mitchell really was bad. Donovan Mitchell shot seventeen times. Thirteen of them were threes, and he only made three of them. You can't win like that. And I'll tell you what, something's going on with him. Something is wrong, and I think he's still really bothered by that groin issue. That would. Makes sense, given that he's taking three-quarters of his shots last night as three-pointers. That means that he, you know, subconsciously or otherwise, just 
he's not driving like he normally is. These are the point totals for Donovan Mitchell four out of his last five games played. 14, 11, 11, and 16. That's not anywhere close to what he was doing in the first half of the season. Yeah, he can't. Not anywhere close. And listen, uh, he's he's only in that stretch, seven, He in that stretch, in, the last, in Donovan Mitchell's last five games, he shot nine free throws total. He would usually shoot more than nine in, in, a in game. most games. Something when, when is the, wrong, and I was yeah. watching it last night. Um, he doesn't have the lift. He can't blow by anybody on a drive. That groin, I think, is messing with him. It has to. It absolutely has to be because he's not himself. And really, outside of the Utah game where he went back home, he has not played well since he dropped that 71-point game uh, right after New Year's. It's been a really rough month for Donovan Mitchell. And I'm not here to get down on him. I mean, he's been sensational all year. But we're starting to get in a little bit of a precarious spot with this Cavs team. They're only one and a half games up from the sixth seed. And this was a team that earlier on in the season we were talking about being a top three seed. Now yeah. now it looks like they're going to be in a dogfight to not be in the play-in tournament. And to that end, you know, we were just talking about this last five-game stretch. You just lost to Miami last night. The previous week you lost to New York. Those are the teams that are sixth and seventh in the conference yeah. that you're going to have to hold off to not end up in the play-in <laughs> tournament. So the Cavaliers did themselves no favors whatsoever None. None. in terms of head-to-head there. And – in the upcoming week, you actually play Atlanta and uh, Washington, who are sitting eighth and ninth. So, you know, you couldn't beat sixth and seventh. Maybe you can beat eighth and ninth, but it's, you know, the Cavs, you know, certain games do matter more than others in the regular season. When you're, like, not flying at the top of the league or whenever you, you don't have a superstar team where it's like, eh, who cares how many games they win just to get to the playoffs. You know, that's not the situation we're in right now. This is not the second LeBron era. You know, seeding and matchup does matter when yeah. you get to the postseason. As we found out, you end up at the playing tournament, you may not get there at all. Yeah. So, you know, that's not something we want to end up with. And again, uh, January was a tough month for a lot of reasons. Schedule-wise, uh, the team spent a lot of time out west in the month of January. Um, they played a lot of road games in January. Um, so it was a tough month. So, you know, while I'm, I'm worried about the direction of the team right now, things do seem like they lighten up a bit in February. Uh, normally we talk about the week that was with the Cavaliers. Let's kind of transition into the, like the week that will be, and let's look forward a little bit and talk about, uh, the kind of the schedule they have moving forward. I, I know, I heard this on the on listening on the radio. The Cavs don't play a, another road game. Uh, that their remaining road games are either in the Eastern Time Zone or in the Central Time Zone. They don't go farther than the Central Time Zone the rest of the season. You'd think that would be an advantage at you know maybe not on a night to night basis, but cumulatively since you're not traveling far. Right. You know, especially once the season gets toward the end and people are naturally more tired, more beat up. You know, we talk about the week that was. I'm going to go with the two weeks that are going to be because that is how long we have until the All-Star break. The Mm -hmm. Cavs have eight games leading into the All-Star break. And really, outside of a couple of really tough-looking games against Memphis and Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. this does look manageable. So it starts against Memphis tomorrow night home, thankfully. Memphis is on the second night of a back-to-back. You might be able to catch them yeah, at a vulnerable are, moment. They were actually in a barn burner with the with the, uh, with the the Blazers. I think it would be nice for, for the Cavs and, if that game went into overtime. And I do think that game is key because if you can't beat, you know, not even bad teams on on the road, you got to be able to beat good teams at home to make up for it. So yeah. this, this, is, this would get this straight. If they get that game – it's an insurance policy on the rest of it because the Blazers, then you... the Blazers have gone into Memphis and are going to get a win. Ooh, they're up. Uh, they just the game just went final, one twenty two to one twelve. Damian Lillard forty two points. The Grindhouse is not an easy place to get a win. That's a big win for Portland. Yeah. Um. So yeah, Memphis comes in tomorrow. After that, the next seven games after that at Indianapolis, at Washington, 
Detroit home at New Orleans. That one's a little bit tricky. Um, home against Chicago, home against San Antonio, and then at Philadelphia. So, again, I would feel really good about a stretch like this if the Cavs had the kind of form that they did in the first 30, 35 games and we had you know a truly healthy superstar, but unfortunately we don't. So, you know, what? how are they going to make this this work? I mean, at the very worst, you figure this couldn't be a sub-500 stretch. And really, five or six wins should not be out beyond their reach. It's just... They just need to find a way to get out of their own way and, and execute, particularly in these late-game situations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would really help. Yeah, so we'll see. I mean, it's a tough month. It's it's easy to get frustrated. You know, uh, this team is better than what they've played the last month. It seems like... It seems like over the last several weeks, the Cavs have gone win one, lose one, win one, lose one, win two, lose two. Pretty much. You know, and that's that's not good enough. 500 is not good enough. They need to be better. Um, you know, at the beginning, at the earlier in the season, they were tracking um, earlier in the season. They were tracking to, um, you know, looking at maybe 54, 55 type wins. Now they're probably they're not even going to get 50. They're looking seven. Yeah. They're looking mid high 40s. Yeah. Um, which again, I mean, it means grand- you might be playing on the road in the first round of the playoffs if you only get that. Yeah, I, I think that's probably where we're headed. We just have got to stay above the seven line. Yeah. Um, even though I do feel like the Cavs would probably be heavy favorites over anybody who was in the play-in, I don't want to be put in that situation. No, definitely so, not. So hopefully they can get out of this funk. They could have go on a nice little run here before the All-Star break and then come out fresh out of the All-Star break and uh, – um, you know, get some momentum, but, um, but yeah, it looks, it doesn't look great right now. And I'm worried about Donovan Mitchell. I really am. He's, he's been so great at the beginning of the season. I feel like nobody's really talked about this last stretch that he's had because he's been so great for us. And, and again, I don't think that it's like his, I, I think it's because he's, he's playing hurt right now. And obviously he's not going to say that, but he he missed a few games with that groin, and then he came back for that Knicks game, and he got hurt at the end of the. He re-aggravated it at the end of that game, and I, and groin is groin is something that's probably unless he's going to take like a month off, which he's not going to do, it's probably going to be something that lingers with him for the rest of the season. If you're going, if you're thinking about shutting him down right now, would be the optimal time to do it. Yeah, just shut him down for these next two weeks. Hope you. You know, go four and four without him or whatever. Go into the All Star break when he gets another week after that where you don't have to play, yep. and then maybe three weeks from now you reactivate. If that's what they're thinking of doing. They should they should pull the ripcord and do it right now. Yeah, I mean, again, that's this is just not saying they should, but that's right. And again, uh, the whole the whole thing about him being, playing hurt right now that's just a that's just a me speculation thing. I have no idea if he actually is. I'm just saying. I was at the game last night. I was watching him every time he drove. He could not get to the basket. He could not blow by anybody. He would have to. He would have to take it back out and either shoot a three, which he wasn't making last night. Which again, I think the groin is is affecting his shot too. Yeah, because it's taking his legs out of his shot. Absolutely. Um, and he's not. He he doesn't have the. Uh, he doesn't have the speed to blow by right now. So it's a little precarious right now. I think for for uh, for Donovan, but uh, but yeah, I I will say. Uh, I think everybody was a little bit nervous or worried about Evan Mobley at the beginning of the year. The team maybe had a, a, an off January. He did not. He is playing. It's only his second year, but he is playing the best basketball of his career right now. He finally seems. Uh, he finally seems like he's playing with a purpose on offense. He's always been great defensively, and it's just been ratcheting up uh this month but you can start to see the aggressiveness on offense um you know Darius Garland has talked about it a lot with Evan Mobley where uh he he's like I tell I tell Evan when you get the ball don't you dare pass it back out like when he gets the ball on the block don't you dare pass it back out and I think he's finally starting to realize just how talented he is on the offensive side of the ball now he's not putting up 30 points a game but you're seeing him go from like 12, 13 points a night to 18, 19, something like that. 
and that's huge. So that's great to see. We just we got to get everybody healthy, and we got to start. We got to start having fun. It just doesn't seem like these guys are having fun right now. And I don't know what that is. And I don't really want to get started on the coach right now because I have opinions about the coach right now that probably at this stage seem a little bit hyperbolic. But I don't know. I don't even want to go there. I, I'll just say this. The Cavs better not get embarrassed in the first round of the playoffs this year. You know who the owner is. Yeah. So, but that but that that's a conversation for a later date if if they keep sputtering like this. If they turn it around in February and they start winning games again, everything's gravy cuz every team goes through a tough stretch. But I'm a bit concerned about what we've been seeing over the last few weeks. The arc is pretty much I mean, it's almost a carbon copy of what was happening a year ago. The Cavs were awesome in the first half of last year. Weren't so great in the second half. A lot of it was injury related. Um, and they ended up getting bounced out of the play-in tournament. You know, it seems like if you were to look at the records going from last year to this year, I don't think we've tracked too far apart from where it was a year ago. I think at our highest point, we might have been a few more games above 500 last year than this year. But other yeah. than that, I mean, it seems like, yeah, you know, it's almost like a, the lines, if you were to draw a line of the wins and the losses, it would be almost identical. Yeah. You know, because at this time, well, at this time last year or a little bit before, we were talking about J.B. Bickerstaff being coach of the year. And by the end of the season, this the shine had just almost completely worn off. And you're right. It has worn off at this point. Um, it's to yeah. the point where he and the team have to produce. Yeah. You know, the expectations are higher now than they were a year ago. Like, like, beginning of last year, nobody expected the Cavaliers to be good. But now we know what we have. And yeah. we want to see we traded for We traded for Donovan Mitchell. So we basically have the same team as last year and added Donovan Mitchell. We lost Laurie Markkinen, but we added Donovan Mitchell, who's an all-star starter. All right. The expectation and was the that we were going to win more games. The expectation is ramp, ramped up. So, uh, yeah. So still a long way to go before the playoffs, but we have to be able to position ourselves in the best best way possible once we get to the playoffs. So, But uh, well, let's see where we're at when we get to the all-star break. And, you know, hopefully the team, you know, have a week off and be able to regroup and and start to make that playoff push. Right. So, so that is the week that was with the Cleveland Guardians. What's uh, going on with the Guardians? Oh, did I say Guardians? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. And the Cavaliers. Spring training is how long from now? Uh, Pitchers three and weeks? catchers report in three weeks, I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so. There's nothing going on with the guard. Well, there is. T- Tito did Francona. they find Terry Francona's they scooter? They did find Tito's scooter. <laughs> I, I meant to cover that on last week's show, but we didn't get the chance. But, uh, yeah, Tito's, Tito's scooter got, got stolen. He got jacked in January. It was found on Lakeside right outside the Channel 3 studios. Who at Channel 3 stole Tito's scooter? <laughs> was it you, Crawford? Oh. <laughs> It wasn't uh, Jim Donovan. Maybe Betsy Kling took it for a joyride. <laughs> She's a Falcon. I don't think she needs to no. be doing stuff like that. No. Her and Jay Crawford, both Falcon alums. That's why we love WKYC. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. So, yeah, it got returned. And uh, so all is well in scooter land for Tito Francona. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah. So, anyway, uh, we'll be getting into more uh, Gardo's talk in the next few weeks. Really sad note, Guardians related, the passing of longtime oh, yes. super fan and drummer John Adams. Oh. Uh that's awful. Uh that guy had been a mainstay all the way back from the old Cleveland Municipal Stadium days, all the way through the opening of Jacobs Field, now progressive field. And I mean, how many games did you could you remember watching and like when the Indians, the Indians, and then the Guardians had runners in scoring position, where you didn't hear that drum drumming, right? I and mean, that's just that's an iconic Cleveland thing. 2010, I ran the first marathon of my career right here in Cleveland. Guess who was drumming at the finish line? John Adams. John Adams. You know? Yeah. That's just... The guy. The guy. When did he start drumming for Guardians games? It was in the 70s. Yeah, it was like 1976. Yeah. Um, he bought a drum at I believe a garage sale for twenty five bucks, and it literally turned into his life. 
I get. I think they said over his forty something years of drumming at Guardians games, he only missed forty five home games. Almost always, uh, like middle afternoon games where he like couldn't get off work. Or that's something. like an average. Of, that's like an average of one a game, one a year. Yeah, one two tops. That's crazy. Mm. Yeah, that is insane. I mean, I I talked. We tweeted about it from the show uh, account. And uh, I wanted to bring it up. Um, let's see. It, you know, I mean, we're 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 in our mid thirties, right? Yeah. We grew up on the sound of the drum at Jacobs Field slash Progressive Field. Yes, we did. That is, and it's it's interesting. It's basically it. I mean, obviously, it doesn't feel the same now. It, he. He hasn't been there for the past couple seasons. Um, health stuff, and you know, obviously, it's a it's what what you know. He he had health issues the, the final couple years of his life. But you know, we tweeted it to you know said R.I.P. to the soundtrack of Cleveland Indians late game rallies. Every night, I mean, obviously, when we were kids, the mid '90s, every night from the sixth inning on, when the Indians were up to bat. Every time they got a man on base, you said, dun, 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 dun. And even if they were losing in the ninth inning by like a run or two, he'd just yeah. start drumming right from the first batter. The rallies, yeah. yeah. And and everybody was everybody always talked about like what was it about the the, the magic at Jacobs Field in the nineties? Maybe it was maybe it was that drum man, because it got the crowd into it and then the players fed off the crowd and you know it became an inti- an incredibly intimidating place um Man, you got it you got to think if you were an opposing player like if you were an opposing pitcher say you were brought on like you're a reliever you're brought on the seventh inning you've got a three to two lead and uh you walk the the leadoff man <laughs> and all of a sudden you all of a sudden you're you're getting ready to face the next batter all you hear is dun 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 Dun, 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 dun. And and the fans start clapping along with the drum. As Tom Hamilton would say, like, "Damn it, walks aren't cheap." <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Now, some of those Indians teams, 95, 96, 98, they were just nauseatingly good. They were never out, I mean, in terms of, you know, making the other team feel their presence. They were never out of a game. That 95 and 96 team, they were never out of a game. No, never. So many come from behind victories during that stretch. And even the 97 team, which, you know, didn't win as many games, still managed to get on a run in the playoffs that got them, you know, just a couple outs away from winning the World Series. So, like, yeah. it's um, so much you can say about the dedication of one person toward a team and toward an organization in the city. Um, we could all just learn the lessons of loyalty and honestly just sheer uh, which love is something and fandom. That's, which is something that's really been lost in sports uh, in recent years. I mean, more so, and I think a lot of it has to do with the social media age and, you know, how um, how accessible the players are now. Yeah. You're seeing kids nowadays grow up and root for players rather than teams. Right. Like guys leave in free agency, guys get traded and, you know, kids will root for that player on whatever team he's on rather than, you know, I'm sure they, you, you still root for your hometown team, obviously, but I mean, how many, how many, how many kids from Cleveland that were young and didn't really understand the gravity of when Le, of LeBron leaving in 2010, just root for whatever, whoever he was playing for, just root for him. You know, and obviously he came back, so you know it's it's doubly great if he's on your hometown team. But yeah, I mean John Adams was he was Cleveland Indians through and through, and I say Indians because that he he never drummed a game for the Cleveland Guardians. Um, and I wonder what they're going to do moving forward because I don't think you can have they tried a little bit. They had the 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 drummer of the Black Keys. Uh, drummed for Guardians games for a little bit, but obviously you can't expect him to do it every game. No, I mean he's he's in a world renowned rock band. <laughs> um, so I I don't think you br- I don't think you have anybody else do dr- 
drum for the team. Maybe you play it on over the loudspeaker recording of it, like during the game. Maybe you can do that. But I think they need to put uh, maybe not a statue of him, but a statue of the drum out in the bleachers. They got to have a memorial out in Heritage Park. That too. And, yeah. you know, just, just such an integral portion of the team for so long. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So rest in peace uh, to John Adams. Uh, thoughts and prayers are with his family. And, uh, yeah, only one thing left to do. Win, Win the, the whole, whole fucking thing. <laughs> I don't usually drop F-bombs, but it was the line in the movie, and it's from Major League, and if you're offended by that, just go away. <laughs> uh, all right, so <clears throat> like I said, we're going to we're gonna do our Super Bowl preview next week because obviously there is a week in between the championship games and the Super Bowl. So next week's episode will be dedicated more so to the Super Bowl. Um, may try and have some guests on for that, but we'll see. Uh, let's look back on the championship games. Uh, we had one that was pretty much a snooze fest um, because a uh, quarterback got hurt in the first quarter, and that was pretty much it. I mean, as much as I love, as much as I liked the 49ers, I I didn't really have them winning that game. Um, but once Purdy went out, there was no chance. Forget it. Yeah. So that game was a disappointment because we we all wanted to see if San Francisco could possibly win this game on the strength of their defense, their overall roster, despite having a third-string quarterback, who admittedly was playing very well, yeah. um, but hadn't been in an environment as nasty and vitriolic as Philadelphia in the playoffs. Uh, but, yeah, as soon as he got injured and then Josh Johnson comes in and, you know, they kind of hung mean, around for a little bit. you're playing in the bit, NFC Championship game with your fourth-string quarterback. But then on top of that, the Niners had penalties in bad spots. They had turnovers. And you just, I mean, even independent of injury, they probably weren't going to win that game regardless, but it just yeah. made it all the more difficult and basically impossible. Even Kyle Shanahan said later, like, you know, what did you want us to do? Like, I right. didn't have a quarterback. So, yeah, you know. It's unfortunate. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, so the Eagles move on. The Eagles go to the Super Bowl for the second time in five years? Yes. They beat the Patriots in Super Bowl 52? Super Bowl 52. Super Bowl 52. That was the one in Minnesota? Minnesota. Yeah. Boy, I'm on a roll. Mm-hmm. Um, Some of the confetti that dropped on the field in Minneapolis that night is in my basement. Well, my parents' basement. There you go. Uh, oh yeah, I gave that to your dad. Yes. Yeah, because we had guys. We had guys at that game, uh, helping them set up the field and then tear it down at the end. And they brought back a bunch of the confetti. So it's a bunch of green, black, and silver uh, Super Bowl trophies, I believe. Mm-hmm. But uh, little confetti cut into Super Bowl trophies. <clears throat> but uh yeah so obviously i know that the eagles are great they've been great all year outside of a two-game stretch when jalen hurts wasn't playing i mean that was really the but only downturn they had all year here's my big and we'll, and we'll talk about the afc championship game they played in the playoffs and again you can only play in front, who's in front of you they played a giants team that was way over their skis yep they played uh, – it was just San Francisco, right? 49ers. Yeah, 49ers who were on their four-string quarterback and pretty much were dead as soon as Brock Purdy went, got injured. So yep. they did those two things in the playoffs, and now, hello, here's Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. It's interesting how – Daniel Jones had a, had a good season. But you're going from having to play Daniel Jones at home, Josh Johnson at home, to Patrick Mahomes at a neutral site. Yeah, definitely up in the ante. The About as much as you can. I mean, the ratcheting up of the degree of difficulty is like... You're going from a 2 to a 10, yeah. basically. So I wonder, and again, I think the Eagles are... I, think it's gonna, I actually think it's going to be a great Super Bowl. Um, I it don't has know. all the makings of one, for sure. I don't know who I'm picking yet. I'm leaning Eagles, but I'm not sure. I don't know how you – I mean, yeah. I'm leaning Eagles right now, but we still have about 10 days till the game. Um, what What are your feelings on the Eagles going into the Super Bowl? I, honestly, I think, they, like you said, their road has been 
very easy, almost historically easy in the playoffs. Right. But they've looked very good doing it. They they yeah. just you know oh, basically yeah. stepped on the throat of the Giants and the the Forty Niners and I think you the know, combined, made, it, made it easy. Yeah, I think the combined score is like sixty nine to fourteen. Yeah, in the two games, it was, yeah. I think they were the first uh, like twenty four plus point margin of victory in both playoff games in a very long time. But be that as it may, so they they've done their job. You know, the job ahead of them is obviously going to be much more difficult in the Super Bowl. But sure. You know, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. Pretty much every game they've they've played in that's mattered, aside from the game they lost to the Commanders in midseason, they've done the job and they've looked. I mean, there there were a couple games in there where they you know snuck by, but you know at the end of the day, all you got to do to win a championship is win by one. Yeah. So I'm I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. Their defense has played great in the playoffs. The the offense has played really well too. I mean Jalen Hurts didn't have a great game throwing the ball in the last game, but they didn't have to. They ran the ball like what, almost fifty times in that game and had yeah. you know, three scores on the ground. So you know I don't know if they're gonna be able to get away with doing that in the Super Bowl. Because, probably not. Because as good as the Eagles defense is, Kansas City's going to put up points. Yes. Um so I wonder a little bit about Kansas City though. Like at times this year they've looked great. Other times they just look like they haven't had the look. And I'll be honest with you, some of the fan reaction after the NFC Championship game and the AFC Championship game has been very intriguing. And what I mean by that is you have a lot of people decrying on Philly because of how easy their road was to get here. But you have a ton of people decrying on Kansas City, basically saying that they shouldn't even be here right now, that they got extremely, extremely lucky. That's toward the in the fourth quarter of that game. That's nonsense. And I don't necessarily believe it, but that thought seems to be extremely pervasive on social media. Well, that, let's, let's And let's, I don't think it's just Bengal fans saying it either. Let's switch let's switch over to the AFC title game then because I I think that's complete nonsense. Did they get a couple calls? Sure. Uh hello, did Joe Burrow have the ball late in the fourth quarter with a tie game with the, the ability to go down the field and win the game, did he do it or did he not? Oh, I was going to say sure did. Well, he they sure were having – they sure did have the ball in that situation. Granted, they were backed up on their own seven when they got it. And then they got one first down and then punted. So, no. Yeah. Um, So, all this crowning of Joe Burrow can officially stop. Anyway. um, To God's ears – Listen, thank you. I will say that that them replaying that third down is one of the weirdest things I've ever seen in my life in a football game. That was bad. I will say that. That was horrendous. <laughs> but I will also say that going back to what we just talked about, the Bengals after that still had a chance to win the game. It's not like they got screwed at the end of the game with that. Like, the Bengals still had a chance after that. They did. And they, and they didn't get it done. And then uh, they made the bonehead of all bonehead plays when that guy uh, hit Mahomes well out of bounds. I mean, there's no, there's no talking about that call. It's about as clear-cut as a call as you can have. I mean, anyone who's complaining about that clearly has just lost their rocker. So but, so that would have been if that if that didn't happen that would have been about a 60-yard field goal attempt for Harrison Butker. And yeah, I know. I They get would have it. had 8 seconds. They probably would have tried to run another play to get closer. Maybe that would have hit, maybe it wouldn't have. Yeah, maybe. But but, but he but I but he I don't think Kansas City's getting 15 more yards because you have to throw it to the sidelines. They had no timeouts. Right. You couldn't use the middle of the field. So you're looking at maybe a 5 a 5 to 7 yard out. So he still hit it. He's still trying to hit a 50-plus yard field goal. And if you looked on that 45-yard field goal, he made it. it. Didn't go in by much. But that ball didn't even get to the net. If that, if he had to kick that from 55, that's that's not going to make it. No, and you're probably looking at a run back. Truthfully, yeah, or at the or overtime. Well, it would have been overtime, probably. I mean, unless you had a kickoff return for a field goal return for a touchdown, the final so play. So it's not just because they're a division rival. I have no sympathy for the Bengals. I I don't care. All this, to, eh, we got cheated out of the game. No, you didn't. You couldn't drive down the field and score late in the game when the game was tied. And then you 
hit the quarterback when he was five yards out of bounds on the last second last play of the game. You choked. Yeah, pretty much. So Bengals fans, you know, like a like a like a flea. Just you know, shoo him. Just get away. No, get out of here. The best thing about this result is we don't have to basically be browbeaten as Ohioans into supporting the Bengals oh, by the for way, the next two weeks. By the way, the, the mayor of Cincinnati should have to resign. Aftab Purival, the oh mayor of Cincinnati. God. Oh, that proclamation he made. Oh, God. The, the, <laughs> the, uh... If I remember correctly, what was it? Joe Burrow should have to take a paternity test to confirm that he is Patrick Mahomes' daddy. Yep. Yes, that's what Aftab Purival said uh, in the lead-up to the AFC Championship game. And obviously this was, you know, done to try to help his approval rating among Bengal faithful. But uh, so as they would say, it didn't exactly age well. So there are a lot of people who said, and myself included, when that— Mayor made that proclamation, and it made it, it it made its rounds on social media that said, "Oh, Kansas City, it, it's the AFC Championship game. They don't need if if they need extra motivation to try and win this game, then they've already lost." Listen to what Travis Kelsey had to say after the game with regards to the words of the Cincinnati mayor. Beautiful trophy. Huh? Hey, I got some wise words for that Cincinnati mayor. Know your role and shut your mouth, you jabroni. You gotta fight for your right I'll tell you what, I love that. That's my favorite player. That's my favorite non-Browns non Browns player in the NFL. That I mean, he might be mine for, too because he was amazing on my fantasy team. For this year. that moment. You just won the AFC Championship game. You're going to the Super Bowl for the third time in five years. The first thing to come out of your mouth, well, second thing after saying, uh, I think he said, like, look at that beautiful trophy or something like that. But he wasn't even asked about that. He was not prompted. He just said, hey, I got some words for that Cincinnati mayor. You better know your role and shut your mouth, you jabroni. I mean, he went all Dwayne The Rock Johnson on his ass. For him to say that, you know that that was going around. And also, the Cincinnati Bengals players that kept saying, oh, uh, we're going into Burrowhead to, to win another AFC championship game, that also stuck in the in the, in the Kansas City Chiefs, Chiefs crawl. Mm -hmm. Listen, the Bengals, they had a great season. They had a great season last year. They went to the Super Bowl. They haven't won anything yet. For them to talk all this trash against that team, yeah, I know, uh, until that game, Burrow was 3-0 against Mahomes, blah, blah, blah. All three of those games were three-point games that were decided late in the game. It's not like you've owned the Chiefs. Who owned the Chiefs? Not the Bengals anymore. Mm-mm. So... <laughs> And another, so so even before that, Kelsey was uh, Kelsey kind of photobombed uh, Patrick Mahomes post game press conference, and uh, and he, he goes, they were talking, and Patrick Mahomes is answering a question, and Travis Kelsey comes over, and goes, oh yeah, Burrow had my ass, it's Mahomes' house. I love Travis Kelsey, man. What great storylines we have in the Super Bowl, by the way. Kelsey brother Starting against Kelsey just right, brother. Yeah, within that family. Travis Kelsey and Jason Kelsey of the Eagles. And how about Andy Reid going up against the Eagles in the Super Bowl? Who would have ever thought that that would happen? You know, almost, God, we're getting almost 20 years after the, you know, yeah. the Donovan McNabb era, yeah. back when Andy Reid was coaching in Philadelphia. Yeah. You know, it's, it's rather remarkable, really. It's yeah, it's crazy, man. It is crazy. What a, what a, I think this is going to be a very good game. Now, I know who's really happy about this. Who's that? State Farm. Oh, yeah. You know, their spokesman, Patrick Mahomes, playing the Super Bowl at State Farm Stadium. Yeah. That couldn't have gone any better. And also in their in their latest commercial, Andy Reid's in that commercial, too. Hmm. The one where he's drawing uh, he's drawing Sharpie mustaches on everybody. <laughs> on the plane. <laughs> and Mahomes, Mahomes wakes up from a nap. He walks to the front of the plane. He goes, Coach, it happened again. And you see Andy Reid just quickly put the Sharpie, like, in his pocket. Oh. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, State Farm is going to be all over the Super Bowl.
That's another thing. Uh, Bengals fans are saying that that that, ge- that AFC Championship game was rigged because they had to have Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl because he's a State Farm sponsor. God, if, if if ifs and buts were candies and nuts, good lord, Bengals fans. I mean, I get it. You're upset. If 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 the Browns are in the AFC Championship game and it just lost in a heartbreaking fashion, I'm sure I'd be saying some of the same things. But Blame Kroger or Procter and Gamble or one of the other major Cincinnati corporations for not putting Joe Burrow yeah, in yeah. a national campaign. Yeah, right. Like there's there's plenty you could. I mean, Fifth Third Bank. I mean, they didn't want any of that. Like yeah. whatever. Yeah. So we've got that Super Bowl matchup. Uh, we will be obviously detailing it more out when we get to next week's episode, which will be episode two forty seven. Twenty four seven. Uh, didn't have anywhere to go with that. Just thought it was cool. It was two four seven twenty four seven. But yeah. So, uh, anything else? Anything else? Think we're good? I think we are good. So I think that's gonna do it for us on this edition of Living Off the Land, episode two forty six. Thanks for bringing us into your life. We appreciate it as always. Thank you for listening. Uh, you can follow us on social media. At Stiffs McGee. At Daniel J. Ford. And you can follow the show at the LOTL podcast. And we will catch you guys next week. So for Steven, I'm Dan. Have a good night, everybody. Or a good day, whenever you're listening to this. And uh, catch you guys next week. See ya.